Reclamation is an amazing word. It comes from the old French to call back your hawk. AJ Demi. Yep, your hawk. To call back your hawk. So if you think about when we tell our stories and we tell all about transgressions, we talk about this happened to me. This is something done to me. And that's where we get stuck in being not just a victim, but victimized. We've given away our power. Right. If we can shift from me to I, as in I call back my hawk. Are you burned out, overwhelmed, not managing stress well? Have you lost that fire for a profession that you loved? Are you a physician that trained over a decade for a career you now resent? I'm Dr. V, and I'm a burnout survivor. I call myself the Harriet Tubman of healthcare because I'm free and I'm coming back to get you so you can be free too. Let's move from fed up to fixing it. Although I'm a doctor, this does not make me your doctor. The information on the podcast, including opinions and recommendations, is intended for informational and educational purposes only. Such information is not intended to be a substitute for the advice of an appropriately qualified and licensed physician or other healthcare provider. Hey, it's Dr. V. All right, as promised, this is part two of our conversation with Dr. Jennifer Grizz about dignity. And so I hope you enjoyed last week. I hope you've applied some of it to your life or at least noticed how dignity plays out um, at work and at home. So uh, here's part two, reclaiming your dignity. Enjoy. I created this podcast to educate people. And like I said, allow them to be introduced to how to get to a happier and healthier life. And so with the Pillars of Lifestyle Medicine, each of my episodes is going to address one of those. And so for this, this for me is um, the plus one is the positive psychology, the happiness. And so this falls under that. It also falls under stress management because what you're saying is that people are walking around mad, angry, feeling disrespected. And that has an impact on us. So before we get to how do you reclaim your dignity, and you've already spoken to it briefly with humiliation in, in the same part of our brain as pain, how does a violation of this sort affect us physically and mentally? Mm, just take a deep breath. And I know, right? right? Yes. Yes. But my guess is your listeners know what it feels like, you know, as I went through those elements. Mm-hmm. What we know is that when our dignity has been violated, if, it's a per- if we perceive it, sometimes it happens without us knowing it. So we have to perceive this transgression, this crossing over. You know, when, when somebody's transgressed and violated our dignity, we have a host of hot emotions that come up, anger, grief, shame. If we violated somebody else's dignity, we have guilt and shame and self-loathing. All those difficult emotions, fear. Fear is a big one. When we think about betrayal, betrayal is actually in the fear and rejection or in the fear wedge of the wheel of emotions. And we feel these in our body. They get rooted in our body in the form of unforgiveness, 
of self or others and, and emotions. I think our emotions because they're lodged in the body. That's where we feel these things. And so running around and sitting with anger, we know is associated with poor cardiovascular health. We know it affects sleep. I don't know if you know when we ruminate, which I'm a queen of rumination. I'm working on it. Obviously, this is my life's journey. When we ruminate, we actually light up those same parts as if we're experiencing that again. So if we ruminate on a painful event, we're actually reliving it. When synapses fire, the same parts of the brain fire. And so a transgression of dignity leads very often, and some of us are more prone to rumination than others. I just want to say that. There are people who know they're ruminators and other people who just don't see it. They just, it's not their way. And it may have to do with early life events or genetics or just how we're wired. But I just, right. to all the ruminators out there, I see you. Yeah. <laughs> so, it, so real quick, so yeah. keep it real. I'm like, rumination, well, I thought rumination if I weren't a physician. So give us an example of how people ruminate. Everybody, well, not everybody. A lot of people do this. Give us a quick example of rumination. Rumination is comes from the type of animal that chews its cud. So ruminants are animals, most famously cows, that regurgitate. They have four stomachs, and their cud just gets chewed over and over. For us as people, we tend to ruminate when we're first thing in the morning, or especially and most hurtfully to us at night. Right. It's it either wakes us up in the morning or it keeps us up at night or wakes us up in the middle of the night and we're chewing over. Why did they do this? They did this. I would never have done this. What am I going to do? How can I fix it? We replay that past. We're, mm-hmm. we're hoping for a better past. Rumination is really, it's not chewing over the future. It's it sticks us right. in the past, whether it's the driver who cut us off, but much more hurtfully conversation we had or conversation we didn't have or some belief that somebody should have or we should have. I find that we should have ones to be the most, well, they're all, they're all damaging. And we're living over those events, all of the paths repeatedly. Yes. yes. I, I used to do that with my patients. Like y'all, for any of my patients who are listening, I do love y'all. Like literally, I think about y'all at night sometimes. <laughs> like I should have done this, or should oh, I need to call her in the morning and tell her so and so because da 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 da. And you're right; it affects our sleep, which if we don't get our sleep, then affects our mood. So yes, okay. So rumination is something we do when our dignity has been uh, violated. Okay, keep going. You said physical and mental effects of. Um, of our violated dignity. And so I think about also social health, our relationships with other people. If you you picture the harm or the person who caused you harm, well, picture your garden. You can picture a beautiful garden. How much of your energy, space, time, love is taken up and crowded out by the weeds of Mm. that one? Yeah. And when we ruminate, we're giving air and light and water and nutrients to the harm. And what it does is it crowds out joy 
and right. beauty and connection with those in our life. It crowds out gratitude. It crowds out hope because it's, it's tentacles, right? And if you have a garden and it's full of weeds, how are the beautiful flowers supposed to bloom? Oh my gosh. Okay. You, you don't know this, but I'm a gardener for three years and my garden is overgrown. Let it go because we went to California. It rained all the time, hot mess, and we got back. So got to go let it clean out the garden. And she said, um, you don't put anything. She didn't, it's a vegetable garden. She said, don't put anything in the ground that's going to kill your seed. But she recommended I put this like fabric over so that my, the only thing that gets nourishment, light, sunlight, all of these things are the plants. So the weeds don't flourish and thrive because they're not getting what they need uh, to grow. And I'm not going to even see them because they're going to be covered up. Um, there's probably some stuff in there. But I just I think that's interesting that the gardening analogy that, yeah, at some point the weeds grow so bad that you don't even want to. I didn't even want to go down there and look at my fruit, like the stuff that my green peppers that I love. Ignored them completely because the weeds were so bad. So that's another way that I think that these violations rob us. They rob us. We have to go in and pull them up. And then there are different ways that we can do that. Naturally speaking, therapy, learning the tools on how to speak up and advocate for ourselves, et cetera. So we know what dignity is. We know what it looks like when it's violated. We know how it's affecting us physically and mentally. So what the heck do we do to reclaim it and to get over this? It requires a, a decision, a decision to, you know, you have to see it. So you have to understand it and name it and to be honest, I actually feel you need to feel those difficult feelings. And if you felt sad and haven't felt angry, I think you need to feel angry. And if you haven't, if you felt angry and you haven't felt sad, I think you'd need to feel grief. And if you haven't named it, felt the fear and the shame, especially, right? Shame is the third rail of our emotional lives. We don't like talking about it, but it thrives in the darkness. So I honestly think we can't just go in and rip out the weeds and expect everything's going to be able to grow. We have to really get to the root. And if mm -hmm. we just go in and, and take clippers and clip the weeds, it will stunt their growth a little bit. That's right. We've really right got yeah, to get there and we've got to feel it mm -hmm. in our bodies and, and really and do it sit in a place where we feel safe, whether it's with a therapist or a coach or somebody in our lives that we really trust who will just listen and not try to fix. I think we kind of need to go to the dark night of the soul to varying degrees. So, you know, if our dignity has been violated and we just say, oh, it's okay, everything's all right, I'm not sure that we can move to the, the next part of the hero's journey. I think we need to go through that you know, I call it the valley of the shadow of death. We need to, now obviously that's very dramatic if somebody's cut you off in traffic. So <laughs> I'm talking about real soul. Yeah. Image, you know, where we have been humiliated. I'm thinking about the, 
little boy whose logs were shaved off, you know, when he goes, when he heals, he needs to really name. And while we don't want to relive and trigger those parts of the brain, doing it in a safe environment and doing it where we can actually detach from our story a little bit and collapse the story can be really helpful. That's what I, what I do in my groups is we collapse the story of what happened to us and take out the judgment words, and just tell the facts. Okay. So, okay. You answered my question. Collapsing it means, so like using the little boy, um, they thought I did something at school that I actually did not do. I went to the barbershop and they shaved off my box. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. Collapse the story, take the heat out of it. So how is that helpful? Well, it helps because we can get some detachment. Okay. Because otherwise, when we feel the story, it's in our every cell of our body. If we can detach a little bit, we can we can still appraise it for what happened. We want that honest appraisal, and it can actually help us look at our part because there's some part that we played. Even and not to trigger shame, but to identify what part we played, just it collapses it. It's really hard to explain. But when I see this happen with people, they're like, oh, it really did collapse it. It makes it less black and white. It brings in some more nuance and shades of gray. Mm -hmm. And we can also then recognize what need we were trying to meet at the time it happened. What need? Needs are universal. Strategies are where we mess up. What need were we trying to meet? So even if we are an innocent victim, there's shame. We shame victims in our culture, in the world. What was she wearing? God, yes. So what need was she trying to meet? She wanted to get home. Mm. That was the need. Maybe the strategy of walking in the dark was not the most skillful. We can appraise the strategy and say, it might not have been the highest level of skill. But the need was to get home. The need that that little boy had was to have play and connection. And maybe it wasn't a skillful strategy. Not to say he brought that. We have to be really careful. This is not to say that the victim brought it on themselves. But to look at the event in a crazy and to look at needs and strategies. Separate the needs from the strategy. So this is a long way of answering How do we reclaim our dignity? I honestly don't think we can see the role of dignity till we go through this process of telling the story in a detached way and collapsing it and telling it to somebody safe who will not try to excuse the behavior of the other, but just say, what happened to you was wrong. I'm hearing the facts. What happened to you was wrong. I think, you know, as I'm talking about it, I think when we tell the story, with all the judgment and the emotions that, and then people say what happened to you is wrong. We wonder, did we get it right? What am I leaving out? And this is why telling the story and just the facts, and then people say what happened to you was wrong. That's true acknowledgement because now we know 
making the story overly dramatic. We're not downplaying our role. Yeah. <laughs> right? Our role. Yeah. Right. So if somebody says what happened to you was wrong, but I know I didn't tell all the facts, even at some deep bone marrow, you know, deep level, I'm not going to really feel hurt. There's a lot there. Because, uh, I mean, this sounds like this takes quite a while to do this because it really is sometimes hard to detach yourselves from the emotion. Sometimes we detach ourselves from our own emotions by saying, well, it wasn't that bad or trying to get over it. When you said if you haven't felt angry, you should feel angry. And if you haven't felt sad, you should feel sad. Like, how does that, how do those emotions how do you get those to come out and really acknowledge that or feel it? We have to feel safe before we can do that. So yeah. there do need to be some conditions in which we feel safe. You know, and if we're exhausted, it's not great. So in my in my work, I have to make sure people are well rested and they've had lunch. And you mm-hmm. know, we do a lot of. Um, grounding, connecting to our bodies, non-judgmentally observing our thoughts. And there's something beautiful about doing it in community. And mm-hmm. I think doing it with others and seeing we're not really alone, that these are universal emotions and understanding you have to feel it to heal it. Suppressing it. It's like a, you know, I can make this analogy because you're a physician and some of your listeners are, but other, you know, non-physicians know this too, that if you take an infected wound and you over-sew it, you, you sew it shut, what's going to happen? Bad stuff's going to happen. Under the skin, it might look pretty for like a little while. Because yeah. then she's going to die and, and, and yeah. suffocate this pus under pressure, right? When pus yeah. is under pressure, when all the white cells and the bacteria yeah, are yeah. contained in there, they're going to go in the bloodstream. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So it's kind of a disgusting analogy, but it's really powerful. If we don't, if we don't let ourselves give light and air to those feelings, they will fester and they will destroy us and will act out and will very likely violate other people's dignity. Wow. Wow. Which, you know, for me, that's what kind of stood out about the story at the beginning when um, she found out her husband only had a few weeks to live at the end. It's like, you know, she's like, we don't have time to be angry. (laughs) You don't have time. And if you don't let it out, the damage that it creates by not letting it out takes up way too much time to, to address it, to clean it up, to fix it. I mean, how many relationships have you burned down because (laughs) you didn't acknowledge how you felt? And again, this affects us physically and mentally. Um, And we know we know that now. I'm not just saying it makes you sad. I'm saying, you know, it makes you have inflammation in your body. Your cardiovascular system doesn't love that. Um, We know that. So. Reclaiming your dignity um, is important. So you say we have to feel it to heal it. So we retell the story, just the facts. Um, And so once we've felt it, what do we do to go on to further healing? Well, reclamation is an amazing word. It comes from the old French, to call back your hawk. A-J-W-J? Yep, your hawk, to call back your hawk. 
that if you think about when we tell our stories and we tell about transgressions, we talk about this happened to me. This is something done to me. And that's where we get stuck at being not just a victim, but victimized. We, mm-hmm. We've given away our power. Right. If we can shift from me to I, as in I call back my hawk, I reclaim my, think about a hawk, they're huge and right. they're powerful. Right. And I have this guided imagery exercise where you imagine standing on a mountain and you're, you're standing tall, you're connected to the earth. You are so powerful and you can see the world below you and you put your arm out in front of you and you have a gauntlet on your forearm to protect you from the fierce powerful talons of your hook and you call her back you call her back to you and she's coming back and she's so powerful you can hear her wings mm. and you're firmly planted on the earth you're not sitting down you're not lying down right you have to have both feet solid because otherwise she's going to knock you over. She's so strong. And mm-hmm. you call her back. You reclaim what's yours, your birthright. Mm-hmm. Your birthright. Yeah, we, we started with that. This is we your started birthright. with that. It yeah. is your birthright. You don't have to earn it. Nobody has more or less than you. You don't have to hustle for it. You just have it. The day you were born, you got it. That's such a, an, an awesome image because when you say you can hear the wings flapping, like I can hear that, but it's like, what if, and this is, y'all listening, this is what I'm trying to get people to understand. You've got, you've got a hawk. Like if you don't know you have a hawk, you don't need, you don't know to call your hawk, hawk back to you. You don't know. That it was yours to begin with. That is what I think this time with you, I hope is bringing to the forefront for my listeners that you have a heart, you have dignity, it's yours. You didn't do anything to earn it. You have it. And it is not okay. It is not okay when someone violates your dignity. And anytime I'm on a, a podcast, they always say, what do you want to leave with our listeners? And it's, I always say, your spirit knows. You always have this feeling, even if you're telling yourself, I'm okay, everything's good, you know, and you carry that with you um, in your heart and in your spirit. So, wow. Mm. We got a lot to chew on, right, today? I just, oh man, I just, I'm going to applaud you for um, the work that you're doing. I know that you, and you said you had a situation at work that kind of spurred this work on. And I, I know it was painful and I know it didn't feel good as you were going through it, but look at the blessing of what you're bringing to the world on the opposite, on the other side of that. And I'm a believer and so I think God takes us through things so that we can learn a lesson and share with others. This is such a gift, Jennifer. This is such a gift. We've got a problem, y'all. There is too much to do and not enough time. 
Your personal life takes a back seat to a profession that you have spent decades training for. Your calling seems to be burdensome in a system that does not prioritize your well-being. You do not have to live this way. When you take care of patients, who takes care of you? I'm Dr. V, a burnout consultant, and you need me as your personal coach. I take care of the healthcare provider that takes care of everybody else. Go to officevisitswithdrv.com and click on the coaching tab. Schedule a free discovery interview so I can learn more about the life that you need to be fulfilled. Anything else you want to share? Any, any last words? Inspiration, hope, like where to get started, what we need to do. Just what do you want to say to, to wrap this up? Well, thank you for this conversation, for sharing stories. I think we have to root this in stories. And I think your listeners have their own stories. Yeah. But I invite people to follow me on Instagram, Dr. Jennifer Briggs Coaching, because I have a lot of content about dignity and forgiveness. I'm on LinkedIn. And um, yeah, I think just take your time to absorb this, because even though we cover dignity, the every session, it's only after some time absorbing it that the people who do this work can actually see the role that dignity plays, not just in their violations of dignity, but what, as they heal, they can offer to the person who hurt them, even if it's just the stories we tell. I have somebody in my group who just realized that, well, he has dignity, which he didn't understand. He kept thinking he had to prove it. He now understands it's his own worry. He also needs to grant dignity to the person who hurt him and let her back in the story of his life. So it's a way of healing not just ourselves, but our communities and our families. And that's why I'm so committed to this because you can see people soften and what that makes possible. But, you know, what it makes possible is it's real true healing, not just smacking on a band-aid or, you know, oversewing a wound, but it really can lead to shifts in our communities and our workplaces and our families. Not to say that we go back to the people who hurt us. Part of the work we do is deciding to right. release or renew the relationship. That's a decision you get to make sort of mm-hmm. at the last mm-hmm. part. And you don't renew doesn't mean you go back to the way it was. Gotta be new. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So I I would just encourage people to to remind themselves that dignity is our own inherent worth. It's that if I can just leave people with that one thing, you're born with it. It's Mm -hmm. fragile, but you can claim it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. All right. So you are on Instagram. Give, give us some, how do people find you? Websites, um, your Instagram handles, your, your social media handles. How would they, or if they want you to coach them, how would they get in touch with you? And my website's www.jennifergriggs.com. And I am on Instagram, Dr. Jennifer Griggs Coaching. It's DR, Jennifer Griggs Coaching. And I'm on LinkedIn. I'm pretty easy to find on LinkedIn. And I uh, would love, love to hear from your listeners. I, I just love this work. It's, it's really changed my life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes, your passion uh, for this work is obvious. 
I love your cadence. I love how you talk. Your tone is so smooth and mellow, and you're not. I, I can see, I can see how you're good at this. I can see how you're good at this. So thank you so much, Dr. Jennifer Griggs, for coming on. I don't say this to every guest, but you really taught me something I did not know, had not even thought about. And I've read some stuff of yours, um, and it just, you put it in a new light for me. And so the, thank you for, for showing up. Thank you for saying yes. Uh, and listeners, guys, this is not um, fluff, fluff, and frou-frou. Uh, maybe you don't have a toxic workplace, and maybe, you know, you don't have, you know, some of the disputes that we were talking about. But this is a way, as she said, to heal our families, to heal connections, and just going back to the urgent life, we don't have time to hold on to these things. Um, it is eating you alive. It is like literally, well, okay, I'm not being dramatic, but yeah, it's really killing you. It's affecting you. You don't know. They know now that it, it can take years off your life. Um, so thank you guys for tuning in. Thank you for listening. And uh, we'll see you next time on Office Visits with Dr. V. Thanks for listening to Office Visits with Dr. V. I would love to stay connected. So please follow me on Instagram and Facebook at Office Visits with Dr. V and on LinkedIn at Benita Vernado, MD. Share this information with your friends and colleagues. Like and subscribe. You know the drill. Also, go to officevisitswithdrv.com backslash connect and leave your email to receive updates on everything that Dr. V is doing to introduce you to your new life.